self-love is so important. And food is a social thing. And food is how we regulate our bodies. It's how we live. It's how we express love. It's how we express thanks. So if there's any way that you can come to terms with having a healthy relationship with food, it makes a huge difference. Mm, Absolutely. Food is totally meant to nourish us and not create neuroses. This is the Mind Body Detox Podcast, where we discuss all things integrative health and wellness, interviewing folks from all over the world, sharing insights and wisdom on how to live a healthier life in mind, body, and spirit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mind Body Detox Podcast. Have you ever been on a diet? Have you ever failed dieting? Or have you been successful at your dieting routines? Today, we're going to talk with nutritional therapy practitioner Tanya Jarrett about the ins and outs of dieting. We're going to flip the script on dieting and that whole mentality. And we're going to also talk a little bit about our own issues and journeys through dieting and even body image. So Tanya, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back. So share a little bit about why we diet. What is this whole thing? Where did it come from? Oh, the diet, the diet, the diet. So Kara, we diet for a lot of different reasons. There's so many different motivators. It it depends on what your motivating source is. Is it because you want to be thin? That aesthetic part of it. Is it because you grew up maybe in a household where you watched your mom or a female figure or even a male figure for that matter always be on a diet? Was this just, you know, something that you grew up seeing? Do your friends diet? Is your social circle always trying the newest, latest fad? Or are you dieting because a medical professional said, hey, you know what? You have diabetes and you need to lose weight. So there's multiple reasons you could be on on a diet, that word that we don't like. So let's list all of them. There's so many. I'm going to list as many as I can think of from like going back to when I started even it being, it was on my radar for dieting. Like it was like the South Beach diet. Do you remember that one? Yep. And then the Atkins diet. Mm-hmm. And then we had, of course, Jenny Craig. And do you remember Jenny Craig? Yep. And Nutrisystem. Nutrisystem. And then there was the, uh, the one that's still around, Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers. Mm-hmm. Now we have something like um, in our area, we have something called um, be balanced. We have more hormone balancing type dieting um, now. Then, of course, we had keto, we have paleo, we have intermittent fasting. Yep, even vegetarian and vegan. I mean, that's it's a style. Mm-hmm. What I try to do from a nutrition perspective is okay, yeah, they're diets, but I like to call them eating styles because it feels a little bit more gentle. Eating styles. Yeah. So instead of asking people, what diets have you tried in the past? What eating styles have you tried in the past? It allows them to open up in a more authentic manner. So let's go back and talk about the past. How about that? Let's talk about, I I really want to know about what your first diet was. Like what was your first eating style and when and, and what really what shifted that for you? Like what was the decision? Okay, so anybody that knows me on a personal level knows that I am a go, 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 go person. So with that go, go, go mentality, a lot of things start to fall to the wayside, like you're eating. So I wouldn't even call it a diet. I would just say 
I probably didn't eat until four o'clock in the afternoon. And that was the way that I just lived. It was my lifestyle. But then when I actually started dieting, it was really restricting certain foods. So going to that restriction place that just feels so bad, you know, it does. It just feels so bad. It's such a flawed philosophy of thinking. There's so much guilt around, I think, that whole process if you actually can't adhere to it. And yeah, so so you restricted calories or what was your first like, I'm restricting fats, like sugars. What was the first restricting things that you took out? So for me, it was never sugar. It was For me, it was um, more starchier carbohydrates. So I'm not going to eat bread. I'm not going to eat pasta. All those carbohydrates, they tell you kind of to stay away from. So it was that, but it was also, you know, I, I would have to say some caloric restriction was in there too, because my portion size was halved. So I would just say, okay, well then, you know, this is what I need to eat and that's enough. And there's no bread, there's no pasta, there's no rice, there's no potatoes, So really limiting those starches. So when I was younger, I think about a lot of people out there that might be in this same boat. Really, I had no idea what were the things to eat and what were the things not to eat, what my body needs. I I didn't even know my body. Like, what does it need? And I find it really funny. The first thing I ever did was, remember the Slim Fast, like, shakes? Like, (laughs) you remember the Slim Fast? I will never forget Slim Fast. It was a part of my college life. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. They didn't even taste that good. Like, I didn't even think that was that great. Like, I convinced myself, like, yeah, this is great. I'm going to lose weight doing it. But honestly, I couldn't stick with it because it wasn't it wasn't sustainable because it wasn't something that I think my body really needed or wanted. And then the second thing, I, I knew so little, okay? There was like the, the next diet was, was some sort of drink that was like a Hollywood, like seven day or five day drink. All you did was drink this drink. I don't remember what it was called. Do you remember that? It was like an infomercial for it. Oh my gosh. It sounds awful. I don't remember that. No, it was horrible. And then, and then I decided, okay, so this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. And I'm a little embarrassed to tell a nutritional therapist this. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, you know what? I'm going to eat one food for like the whole week. I'm going to have one food. And you know what that food's going to be? Ramen noodles. Oh, ramen noodles all day. I had ramen noodles for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for an entire week. And of course, I was so nutritionally illiterate that I was like, why am I getting fatter? Why am I gaining weight? And I was like, oh, it's because of the sodium. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they hide the MSG in there for you, sister. Oh, my gosh. I thought that it was like a smart thing. Like, yeah, I'm going to have just ramen noodles. That's it. Nothing else. Then I can't. And it, does, it didn't even make any sense. I don't even know why my brain even like tried to think logically that would work. <laughs> I know. Isn't it crazy the things that we can talk ourselves into? Even when it comes to dieting, there's so many arbitrary food rules that really teach us all the wrong things. Instead of tuning into our own cravings and hunger signals, we're just following these set of rules. And it's like, who makes these set of rules? Right. That's where, of course, when I did lose weight, you know, like we know my whole process is different and it's everybody's different and their bodies are different. I got to this point like years later, like what you're saying, like 
what's going to work for me isn't going to work for everyone else. And I became so skeptical of any other like program, like even intermittent fasting is a really big thing for a lot of people, but I'm really still, I'm going to hold true to to my, my instincts that it's not the right thing for everyone. You're absolutely right. And, and Kara, everyone has their own journey and you have a beautiful journey, but our bodies have such amazing internal wisdom. And I think the hardest part is just to key in and to listen to what our bodies are telling us. Like you said, intermittent fasting is not for everybody, but there are some people that thrive off of that style of eating. And it's beautiful. Just like those who decide to eat a vegan lifestyle There are some people that thrive in the most beautiful way, but then for others, it's really detrimental to their health. Yeah. And I I mean, not just physical health too, because I know a friend that was vegan for 10 years and his health actually started to really decline. And it wasn't like I'm eating vegan and making sure I'm getting enough B vitamins. And like, you know, there's a lot of times, you know, people go into that lifestyle of being a vegan, but they're not aware of what nutritional factors are important to make up for not eating meat, right? And he got sicker and sicker and sicker. And like when he went to a nutritional therapist years later, it was really hard for her to convince him to just start, you know, he needed to eat eggs. He needed to do something to get protein in his body because he was just deteriorating. And other people, I think it works well for, but you know, if you're just going to eat like Oreos or vegan, and that's like, if you're going to go vegan and eat all the junk food, like that's not going to work. Right. So I, I, again, I want to go back to like where we came from with our dieting experiences. And I'm curious about what really started you going down the dieting path. Because like, to me, when I first met you, I was like, Tanya is super amazingly beautiful and she's tall and slender. And like, I can't imagine, you know, from my perspective, because we're all so different. What was your thing for your body image or was it weight or was it external pressures? What were the things that pulled you into wanting to diet? I really have been lucky my whole life to be tall and thin. I mean, I'm almost 5'11". I've always, you know, had a really thin build, but it was when I stepped into the world of modeling and the world of pageantry that there were these external pressures to be more. So you never felt 100% kind of confident in your own skin because you knew that there was somebody else out there that was going to be better than you and maybe was going to be cast for that role that you wanted so bad because they looked better or because they fit into the outfit better or somebody else was going to win that pageant because maybe their boobs were bigger and their waist was smaller. So there was always this external pressure to be somebody that you were not. Although there was never any one person telling me to do that. That was pressure that I placed on myself when you begin comparing yourself to other people. And that is a very natural thing. It was really that experience where it was like, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z, then the outcome is going to be this. And really it was me wanting to be as thin as I could be. Also, you look at women in the pageantry world and not all women have, you know, breast implants, but a lot of women did. And I wanted that too. And I never went forward with it, but you know, you really, you really start to compare and that, that sometimes is the hardest part. I always say, be aware of when you compare, not even just like with the body image stuff, but anything in life. I feel like that is what really 
can cause self-sabotage and negative thinking. And it really just doesn't help anything. It's not productive in most cases. So I think it's good to share that part of your story because not everybody has excess weight that they want to lose when they're dieting. I think sometimes we come from this perspective that I'm, you know, obese or my BMI is too high or this is what I need to do. And I think a lot of people who are really, really heavy don't realize that even people who are really thin sometimes are really self-conscious about their body. People who are too thin or you say about breast implants, like maybe my boobs aren't big enough. Like mm-hmm. I think that there's two sides to the coin. And I, I know that depending on where people are at on a personal level with their weight and body image, Sometimes we always forget that there's still someone else out there that still has these issues with what they're feeling and which causes them to do not just things with dieting, but breast augmentation and other sort of things. So I'd be curious as far as the information you have about people that have higher weight or BMIs, how does that relate to health issues? Because Sometimes people are overweight and their doctors saying you have to lose weight to take care of A, B, C, or D. Where is the line there? Because some people are just naturally round. I don't think that there should be unnecessarily psychological pressure like, oh my gosh, because I'm a little bit overweight, I might start having A, B, C, or D. So where does that come into play? Yeah, I would like to throw BMI completely out the window. I I really try hard not to use that biometric number because I don't think it's a good predictor of health. I really don't. There are some individuals who way more have higher weights or have higher BMIs, but they're metabolically healthy individuals. So from a person to a person, we generally think, okay, if I lose 20 pounds, then my diabetes will improve, my blood pressure will improve, my risk for heart disease is going to improve. And while, yeah, from a nutritional perspective, I can't say those things won't improve. You can't deny that. Okay. So absolutely those things might improve, but I always ask anybody who says that, so what's the method to your madness? Okay. So what are you doing to lose that weight? Because if you're restricting those real whole healthy foods, you might be missing out on some nutrients that are really crucial for health. So it doesn't always add up. I'm talking about the sugar episode that we did. Like if people are, you know, losing weight because they're adding artificial sweeteners in or something like that, like the toxic load of that is more detrimental to your health, in my opinion, than like you said, it depends on what you're doing. Right. And that's why there's such a big, you know, yo-yo dieting is such a big thing. You know, you see people who lose weight and they look fantastic and you're like, oh, wow, what are you doing? Maybe two years later, you see them again and they're back with all that weight on. There's not sustainable habits. There's not that lifestyle approach. It's kind of like, okay, how can I lose this weight in the fastest manner? Because gosh, we are such impatient individuals. (laughs) Instead of adopting the lifestyle approach, there's just so much pressure around being something that you're not. And and I definitely felt that experience. Now I've watched not just my own clients, but people in my own family who have done the yo-yo dieting. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but when I lost weight and I made that lifestyle change, I definitely, I mean, I used to be 260 pounds. For those of you who are out there listening, I am now about 160. So that's over hundred pounds. I'd like to lose some more weight, but you know, really it was more matter for me is feeling good. 
I don't mm-hmm. care what I weigh as long as my body's feeling good, my mental health is good, my joints feel good. As far as, as being a woman, as far as my cycle feeling well and not having problems, like the overall balance to me is more important. That is much more important. If I'm experiencing a lot of rashes or acne or other symptoms that are going on, like there's something going on with toxicity, there's something going on with my hormones, there's something going on that needs to be looked at. To me, that's more important, but I didn't have that mentality back then. And I remember watching people go on diets and then fall off of them. And I was wondering why they couldn't you know, stick with losing the weight or whatever it was they were doing. The number one thing that's so common between all these different types of diets is I think they're all very moderately or to very extreme. What are your thoughts on that whole process? Because I think I think that's where a lot of people that's why they yo-yo diet because it can't it's not sustainable. Yeah, it's it's definitely not sustainable. And with any diet, there's rules around it. So when you have rules around food, it starts to impair our judgment. And that's not what we want. We want to be able to improve our health. So you have to take those rules away because being metabolically healthy is the most important thing. You want to know that your blood sugar is in the normal range, that your kidney and liver, you know, they're, they're functioning at optimal levels. You want to make sure that you're able to remove the toxins, um, that come into your body and you want to be able to know that your inflammation levels are low. And really, while weight does play a part into that, that is not the whole picture. So that's why the program that I run, Metabolic Balance, it really focuses on internal health first. The weight will follow once your hormones and your metabolism is balanced. Until then, you're never going to lose the weight and keep it off. You may lose the weight, but you will not keep it off if your hormones and your metabolism is not balanced. You know, it's simple human body. That's how the human body works. I shouldn't say it's simple because it's not really simple, but (laughs) it can be simple. (laughs) I also think that what you're doing with that is you're doing blood panels. So you're kind of looking at where people have nutritional deficiencies. And a lot of times we crave certain foods if we have specific deficiencies. Um, There's a really, really great book out there called The Craving Cure. I'll put that in the show notes. I love that literature because I was reading um, about how many things that we don't realize that we're deficient in. And a lot of times it causes these different cravings. I'm curious about any information you have on that as far as um, your work, Tanya, because I find that fascinating. Yeah, it is really fascinating. Once you start to learn about you know, your body and the things that you need, also not only from a physical perspective, but also from that mental perspective. So you could be craving something salty and that could be correlated to a specific feeling or emotion. And you could be craving something sweet and that could also, you know, go ahead and correlate to a specific feeling or emotion that you're having. So I think that we need to think outside of the physical being too. Yes, you may be deficient in a certain nutrient or mineral, but there may be other reasons why you're craving something sweet, something spicy, something salty, lots of sugar. So I, I think it's important to examine the, the mental and emotional part of food and eating. And I, I, I really want to touch on hormones because hormones regulate everything. 
And your hormones and your metabolism really work hand in hand. Those hormones are going to tell you when you're full. And I think the hardest part is just listening to our body, going back to listening. How do we learn to listen to what our needs are without letting all of this external stimuli make the choices for us? That's the hard part, right? I even think about that, you know, we're bombarded every day. If, if anybody has kids out there and they watch, you know, they've ever looked over their shoulder when they're maybe on YouTube, there is so much targeted ads for those kids for Cheetos and Coke and Snickers and what are those called Pringles? Once you pop, you can't stop, right? And I fall victim to that too. It's easy to fall victim to this type of propaganda that's being thrown at us to buy these products. Well, like I know that this podcast and of course even the Mind Body Detox program is like completely kind of rebellious in the way that we are looking at the world. And what you just said there I think is key. There are so many different areas in our lives, not just in dieting and how we eat and nutrition and the rules and the laws, what you should do, what you shouldn't do in that arena, but also like socially, even in our spiritual sense of things, how we interact, our own connection with our bodies, I think is like really it comes back to that. Our own connection with the self and body, I think is the number one thing that why I've seen people not be successful at reaching their goals, that they don't know, first of all, what they really want based on it being separated from their external programming of what is socially acceptable to get breast implants. Okay. Is that really what I want? Or is that really what I am socially being maybe groomed to do or through just, that's just what I would feel more comfortable with because I don't accept the self. And when I do see people struggle with any reaching any goal, it always comes back to the simplest thing is self-love. I know that seems so hokey too, and it seems too simple for our brains to even process it. I'm like, when you value yourself, that's when you start to make these lifestyle changes that stick. When you're doing it for temporary reasons to appease a part of yourself or um, someone else, that's when we can't stick with it. And I think that that's really the whole journey of not only my work, but also your work of looking, getting to the root here, of what's nutritionally deficient, why we keep going back, why we keep falling off the wagon. But I like that mental piece too. I think that's a piece that most people do not look at. They're really like, let's look at the numbers. Let's look at your blood work. Let's look at the, what are you eating? Let's count your calories. And honestly, do you have to look at the social component of like what the stressors are in your life? Empaths tend to, str- to crave a lot of sugar. And they're the nurturers and sugar and dairy. And it's really interesting. If you pick up the Craving Cure book, it talks about the different neurotransmitters that our body naturally makes and the different foods that we crave if we are deficient in those neurotransmitters. So like oxytocin is like that cuddle hormone. And if you're nurturing everybody else, you're going to probably feel like you're, you're going to be getting a lot of that hormone because your body's making it just from your own mental processes, creating that, oh, look at that cute little dog or baby or person I'm going to help, right? But someone who's like my um, one of my family members, workaholic, doesn't have get a lot of that cuddle, touch, physical connection and is more kind of a little bit guarded in their personality. Um, And not that that's a bad thing, that's who they are, but they don't get enough, I would say, oxytocin. They don't get enough of that. Let's let's connect. They don't get enough of that. And so what's really interesting is their vice is dairy and ice cream. 
and dairy and ice cream is where you get some of that that um, the emotional component that that really leads to the uh, the chemical component. So I, I love that. I need to read that book. That's that sounds really fantastic. Yes, yeah, it's really good, and also gives if you're trying to quit like cigarettes or alcohol or sugar or whatever it is, it does give some gi- suggestions um, in the book for amino acid therapies that you can take supplementation for to help with the cravings while you're overcoming the physiological aspect of that that habit. But then go back to that same sentiment. You have to address what the behavior is of why you're overworking or you're over nurturing or what is it? Why do you smoke? Or why do you eat the sugar or the candy or the you know fats? You know, there's, there may be a reason for it. Have you found like certain clients who crave certain foods, like if they crave salt, I find that really interesting because a lot of people are deficient, I think, in certain minerals. And I think that I'm wondering if a lot of times they're just craving certain minerals and uh, salt is just one that they're attracted to for some reason. Is there any particular reason for that? You would definitely need to look at, there are some really fantastic food craving charts that are available. So it's like, if you're craving salty foods, it's like, are you deficient in like silicon? Are you deficient in chloride? That's, you know, what is triggering that? I know when it comes to sweet foods, we think of magnesium right away. So we try to push people towards like nuts and seeds and veggies and fruits that contain a lot of magnesium. So, I mean, it's, it's really Interesting. And that is something that we do go into, you know, when I work with a client because it's so much more. Like you said, I love going back to that self love piece because that is ultimately what we as practitioners try to do is to get people to feel confident in their own skin, to feel that self love, and to know that they're making these changes because they truly care about number one. And number one is the most important, and that is you. So, what external factors are playing into the way that you eat? Like you said, that emotional, that social, that environmental, that spiritual component. How do you pull all of this into your journey? And what I love most, Kara, about the vast amount of resources that we have available for our clients is, you know what, there's this nutrition component. And when things start to go out of my scope of practice. I have other practitioners that focus on that mind component, that spirit component that can really help that client have that 360 degree approach to their own specific self-love wellness journey. Absolutely. So Tanya, how do we shift our mentality then? You know, I think we've got all this information, like if it hasn't been clear yet, dieting is temporary. And eating styles is softer. I like that. Eating styles can still fluctuate, right? But I think a lifestyle is really what we're looking for. And I think a lifestyle isn't necessarily being completely eliminating everything that's junk food or things like that. I think everything in moderation, including moderation. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah, like sometimes you're going to go out and you're going to, you know, have whatever, but how do you, we move from this diet mentality to more having a healthier lifestyle in relationship with food? Yeah, that does look different for everybody, Kara. It really does. It's hard for me as a practitioner to say, this is an overarching rule that you should follow. And this is going to help you be more in tune with what your body needs because everybody is so incredibly unique. And I really do believe that Each person needs to step back and look at what rules they hold around food 
maybe write them down. What are your food rules? What is your, what is your language around food? And then start from there. So I want to go over my food rules. Let's, let's, let's just unpack this for some examples. Let's see this. Let me in real time, like let's externally process some of like my own, maybe potential blocks here. You want to do it? Let's do it. Okay. All right. So I'm going to talk about my old food rules and then my new food rules. So my old food rules were of course like this mentality that, okay, I have to have everything has to be gluten-free. It has to be dairy-free. It has to be organic. It has to be all these rules in which I felt when I went into the health food store and I was watching these different people who looked like they were glowing. All of their marketing was like bright white and clean and green. And like, it just looks super clean. Like there's no dirt under their beds, right? Everything Mm -hmm. is like great there. You know, I was like, this is exactly what I need to do. And I can't have GMOs. I can't do any of that. Okay. So that's my old rules. Like when I would shop, I was super restrictive to the point where that's actually an issue. Like, I want to say that because I started to get this sort of um, anxiety around eating. Like, oh my gosh, like, I can't have that because it's has GMOs and or it has palm oil in it and they're destroying the rainforests because of the palm oil harvesting. Like I was like the, just it was unhealthy because it started to create stress and anxiety that of course affected affected my body. And I was around other people that also were very restrictive. Now it made me feel special. Okay. Like, oh my gosh, I'm super healthy. I'm hanging out with these really healthy people because most of my life I was not healthy. So it was something that I really had a lot of self esteem and pride around this. I did it. I lost weight. I'm eating really healthy. And part of that, to be honest, was me feeling a little bit better than other people because I had a deep sense of insecurity. And so by feeling better than other people, we all have that in some degree sometimes when we have a deep sense of self, you know, insecurity. Well, like levels, what I call leveling, you'll be like, oh, but I'm okay. It's okay because I'm better in this way. I'm okay. And that's where we go back to be aware of when we compare, right? I think the comparison thing can be a big problem. But when I was really deeply insecure and hadn't really addressed things emotionally or mentally or spiritually in my life, that was my way to feel in control to feel okay, to feel good enough. Because really we all suffer from not feeling good enough and not loving the self. That's really what this is all about. So when I realized that, I was like, wait a minute, this is not healthy. Even eating super, super healthy like this, the scales had turned. What's the expression? The tides had turned. (laughs) That's the expression. (laughs) I'll blame that on my lead poisoning. My brain like, what? How did, what's that? What's that expression? Because I had gone from being like a sugarholic, eating really unhealthy Pennsylvania Dutch food, starches, lots of fats and meats, and not anything that was really a lot of vegetables and fruits. So it wasn't balanced to the strict dieting. So now my food rules. I have food rules around eating in the morning. If I'm not hungry, I don't want to eat. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I, it's really interesting. I don't practice intermittent fasting, but if I'm not hungry, I look at why I'm not hungry. Is it because I'm stressed and I didn't have enough sleep last night? Because to me, that's an issue that I have to address. Because if I consistently am in that space, my cortisol levels are high. Like I know that that's not healthy for my hormones. And I know that I get out of balance. My muscles start to get tight. You can see how these little examples I'm sharing are all about how it brings back to what you said earlier, Tanya, the body awareness. Like it brings back to like, before I was aware of my body and what it needed, I would have just like, well, I have to eat breakfast today because that's what you're supposed to do. And breakfast is the most important meal of the day we hear, right? 
that's not right for my digestion sometimes. Sometimes I listen, my food rule is, I'm not feeling like my belly's feeling that great this morning. I'm going to have some lemon water and just let my body or some warm chamomile tea or something, let my body start to really digest. So I'll listen in that sense. The other food rules I have, and I feel like these food rules so far, please call me out if they're not healthy, because again, you're not aware of what we're not aware of, right? Right. (laughs) Right. That's so true. Yeah. The other food rule is if I start to get thirsty, that means I didn't drink enough water that day. Like I try to make sure that I'm drinking plenty of water and that I'm putting minerals in my water because I use a reverse osmosis filtration system and it depletes the water of minerals. So I make sure that's happening. And um, I won't eat food after eight o'clock. I usually try to do seven o'clock, but that's where I get really bendy with my rolls. Depends on how late I have to go to bed because I can't process food if I eat too late in the night. And I notice that my sleep gets, this is again, awareness, my sleep gets messed up. And then of course, I don't sleep well enough. And then my skin looks dehydrated in the morning because I didn't sleep enough. I didn't get into that deep regenerative sleep. So it's like this whole cycle of things. I would say currently my food rule that I am bending right now that is going against what my body needs is I still sometimes indulge in a type of chocolate that has not sugar because I can't do sugar, but it has the xylitol in it and some of the um, sugar alcohol, erythritol. And we talked about that in the sugar podcast. I get bloating from that. And then I feel like really kind of crabby a little bit later on and I get edgy and I still do it because that's just my vice. And I know that's like, people are like, what? That's your vice? Like, <laughs> like you know, there's a lot of other people out there that think how I eat is, might, might be seem really restricted to them. But currently those are my food rules. I don't eat red meat. And why? Some people are like, there's a reason why I don't eat red meat. And it's not because a doctor told me you shouldn't eat red meat because you have high blood pressure in your family or whatever. It's because whenever I eat red meat, I can't, I can't digest it. I get like a lump in my stomach and I can't process that red meat properly. So let's see. No dairy because I break out when I eat dairy. My body again is telling me like, stop eating dairy. You break out and then your sweat smells horrible. And your partner's like, why are you stinky? (laughs) I can't do dairy. I smell and I break out. So those are all the reasons why I have my current food rules. I'm okay to indulge sometimes, right? In my bloating chocolate. (laughs) Yeah. And your sugar alcohol chocolate. I mean, if that is your vice, kudos to you. I mean, you do have these food rules, but I love one of the things I love that you said is that you knew at some point that you were placing extra stress and unnecessary anxiety on yourself, having all of these food rules. So those are questions you need to ask yourself too. Are you restricting and putting these rules around certain foods that are causing you anxiety. So, oh, I can't go out to dinner with my friends because I'm going to be put in a situation where there's going to be X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, I can't go to that baby shower because they may not serve something that is gluten-free. It's when it starts to interfere with daily life and those fun, wonderful things that life, you know, really is about that's when you really need to re-examine what the heck is going on. Speaking of baby showers, I went to, we did a wellness party baby shower a couple weeks ago and they had crab dip, cheesy crab dip there. And I was like, yep, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have it. And 
I knew that I was going to feel a little bit crappy, maybe break out a little bit. But I think because I listened to my body about how much I could have, it wasn't so bad. So I think like I prepare for those things usually when I'm going to a party. I'm like, you know, I'm going to have this. I don't have to restrict myself, but I have to listen to my body and indulge in a way that's fully present. I think that's the thing when we restrict, at least for me, if I can't have a piece of cake that has a little bit of gluten, like then I want it. But if I'm like, I'm going to have a small piece of cake and not because I'm restricting myself because of the calorie counting or the weight or whatever, because my body doesn't like it because I respect my body and I have boundaries with my body. And of course it took me years and years and years to eat well, fall off the wagon, feel like crap, be in bed and be in pain and hurting and be, you know, melancholy to getting off, you know, sugar and dairy and all the things and then doing it again. I think it's a journey that a lot of times when you're trying to really look at what your body needs and, and, and is, is okay with, it's, it's tracking, it's logging your food, it's noticing how your body feels, what your sleep is, you know, your hormones, you're breaking out, are you, you know, do you have body odor, how are your bowel movements, are you urinating more? Like there's all these things that I think if I would have, when I was a teenager, had awareness of, I would be a completely different person now. But I think I have a much healthier relationship with food because I'm like, it's not the devil, gluten's not the devil. Sugar is a demon, like we talked about in the the sugar episode, but it's only in an excess. I'm definitely okay with having it. And and I like that you said that because I think the restriction, again, can create this panic and then this guilt and shame after you indulge. But as long as you know what your rules are for yourself, based on what your body's going to feel like, or if you have a goal that you're like, you know, I'm not going to eat three pieces of cake because <laughs> that's what I would do. I would restrict and be like, oh, I'm just going to binge because no one knows that I don't eat dairy at this party. They have no idea I'm over in the corner. Like I had three plates now or whatever it is. Like that was how it used to be. <laughs> I keep it out of my, out of my house, but then I'd be out and people like talking to me and I'm like, you like, really like that? Whatever it was, uh, you know, cheesy crab dip or whatever. I'm like, Yep. I like cheesy crab dip. They have no idea that I don't eat this normally. And I'm like, it's almost like for me, it, w- it was like having something that was like forbidden, right? But now it's just like, no, it's a neutral substance that I can eat when I feel like it and my body's okay with it. Yeah. You know, you're actually bringing me back to working with, there's a few specific clients that, you know, come to my mind. And in any program, when you start a new nutrition program, it feels super restrictive in the beginning, but that's because you're resetting and you're, you know, you're rebalancing and you're kind of getting to a place that then you can restore in a way that feels good. The minute you I'm thinking of this one specific client. She had a piece of cake at this baby shower and felt so much guilt around it. It was unbelievable. But being able to talk about it and examine why she felt that way, it was because she was placing all of this unnecessary stress around having that piece of cake because it had sugar in it and because it, you know, had gluten in it. And we were trying to get her digestion back on track. But in the grand scheme of things, after talking through it, it made no difference, right? That that one piece of cake made no difference. And it's about getting to that point, like you said, where instead of having three pieces, you can have a half a piece or even a piece and you feel great and dandy and you move on and enjoy yourself. Again, I'm going to say you enjoy yourself <laughs> because of that is important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, do you have anything else to share about this whole topic? Anything about ditching our dieting mentality? I just love this topic because I think, you know, self-love is so important. And food is a social thing. And food is how we regulate our bodies. It's how we live. It's how we express love. It's how we express thanks. So if there's any way that you can come to terms with having a healthy relationship with food, it makes a huge difference. Mm, Absolutely. Food is totally meant to nourish us and not create neuroses. Yeah. Nourishment, not neuroses. (laughs) For sure. That's going to be the new quote. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. If you guys have any other questions about this topic, and if you're looking to really start somewhere, like Tanya said, that restriction at the very beginning is absolutely part of a lot of times changing your diet and lifestyle. And that's why I usually, for myself, I, I enjoy doing something like that to begin because you feel like you're doing something, you know, you're switching something up, but it's not something that has to be long term as far as like a cleanse or a juicing or something like that. Sometimes people do stuff like that to reset and then start a lifestyle, something that's long-term. I like that because you get those quick results of feeling better, getting that stuff out of your system and then moving forward. Like, okay, I'm definitely ready to continue to feel better and feel this good and, you know, fall off the wagon a couple times here and there. That's okay. But just keeping that rhythm. So Tanya, you'd offer free consultations for, and this is online work. So you can do this anywhere in the world um, for the metabolic balance program. And we can, of course, you can learn more about that at fireflyhollowwellness.com. I'll share that in the show notes. And of course, um, anything else I should say? Anything else, Tanya? I don't think so, Kara. Thanks for having me. I loved our topic today. It was pretty awesome. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, thanks again for listening to the Mind Body Detox podcast. And be well until next time, my friends. Thank you for listening to the Mind Body Detox podcast. We wish you wellness and health in your mind, body, and spirit. And be well until next time, my friends.